I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. What's up, people? It's Mike. We have a guest that I am so excited for you to meet today. Her name is Tiffany Dufu, and she is on the planet to advance women and girls. That is what she says when people ask her what she does, which I love. She wrote a book called Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less, which, of course, we love. Wow. Um, Wait, do you know anything else about doing less? I don't know anything about doing less. But But don't you? No, I do, because I wrote a book called Do Less. But he, here's what was so cool. I Which found comes out, out about on April second. April second. I heard about Tiffany Dufu's book while I was writing my book, and so I was able to read her book and then make a few references to her stuff within Do Less because I am all about also the advancement of women and girls, and I like to amplify other women's messages whenever possible. And Tiffany is freaking brilliant. She's funny, and I love that her advice is incredibly practical. Gloria Steinem wrote the foreword to her book. The book is a game changer, especially if you are in a partnership that you would like to shift into more of an all-in partnership on the home front and on the breadwinning front. She really talks about, and we talked about in this episode, how while the workplace is benefiting from the gifts and talents of women, we have not kept up with that kind of progress on the home front. And so in many partnerships that are male-female partnerships, the men have not kept up quite as much with taking on the roles and responsibility in the home front to keep up with what women are doing in the workplace, which I thought was really insightful. And she sees that as a huge reason why there's such a leadership gap in the C-suite level and also in politics and other leadership roles. So we talked about that. We talked about asking for help. We talked about saying no. We talked about boundaries. We talked about her full-on home management system called Mel, Mel. which is really fun. What else did we talk about, honey? Uh, Well, let me just give you a little bit more background about Tiffany. All right. How about her bio? So she's the catalyst at large in the world of women's leadership. And as Kate said, the author of Drop the Ball, it's a memoir manifesto that shows women how to cultivate the single skill they need in order to thrive, the ability to let go. And we talked a lot about that and that her book is really fascinating from that perspective about what she thinks about on a day to day and then what her partner thinks about and what how they navigate the home front like Kate talked about. And I mean, that's one thing that we have struggled with as a couple. You know, we've talked about it on our podcast before and we, I'm sure we will in the future about just roles at home, you know, because as we have come from different backgrounds, both of us and different upbringings. And so you're in, you're ingrained with these kind of societal norms, but also our own internal family norms. And so it's breaking clear from those. I loved her book. It's like super overwhelming to read about everything that went on in this woman's mind. But then also I didn't find it overwhelming because I'm a woman like her. You found it overwhelming because you don't think like her. That's correct. That's why that's why I mean, So she's been named to the Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women. She also is the founder and CEO of The Crew, which is a peer coaching platform for women looking to accelerate their professional and personal growth. We talked a lot about The Crew, so you can definitely listen for that. 
She was also a launch team member to Lean In and was the chief leadership officer at Levo, one of the fastest growing millennial professional networks. Prior to that, she also served as president of the White House Project as major gifts announcer at Simmons College in major Boston. Major gifts officer. Officer. At yeah, Simmons not an in Boston. But she also serves on the board of Girls Who Code and Simmons College. She's a member of the Women's Forum New York, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, and is a lifetime Girl Scout. She lives in New York City with her husband, Kojo, and two children. So I think you're going to love Tiffany as much as we do. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Tiffany. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I have a question. Oh, you're starting. Oh, okay, yeah. Mike's starting. So, um, I have to hold up your book because I love it. So oh, yeah, much. go ahead. Do the intro. Do what you want to do. No, you go. Ask your question. Oh, okay. Yes. So, right before we, we press record, I noticed that your name is Tiffany, of course. Yes. And then you're drinking out of a Tiffany and Co. cup. I am. I so, am. can we talk about can that? How, that? What is yes. That? Yes. So I'm, I'm a very avid reader of O Magazine, and I love the column where she has all of these amazing things, every issue. And one issue, a couple of years ago, there were these Tiffany mugs that are actually designed to look like a paper cup but they're porcelain. And I circled it and I tore it out of the magazine and I put it on my husband's pillow. And <laughs> lo and behold, the next birthday, I had my beautiful Tiffany porcelain cup. I like how you make it easy for him to please you. That's oh, absolutely. awesome. Yes, yeah. why make it complicated? Absolutely, I'm we will such find, a big believer uh, in that. For those yeah. listening, we'll get a picture of this thing and we'll, we'll get a photo post of it the in mug the, in the show notes. So yeah. my question is, before because we're going to talk about your book drop the ball so would you have done what you just said before drop the ball or is this something that has been learned after writing drop this the ball? is definitely a drop the ball evolution before dropping the ball i would have engaged in this thing that i used to do called imaginary delegation you know this is when you <laughs> assign someone a task or think hope that someone does something but you never really tell them like I really want that mug or I really need you to take out the recycling and then when they don't do it you don't get the mug the recycling is piling up you're like really upset and at some point common sense will prevail and say well you know he never he doesn't read O magazine Tiffany he wouldn't like actually know you wanted that mug or you know you never told him to take out the recycling but then you snap back at common sense well no one has to tell me to take out the recycling around here well I seem to know what he wants for his birthday and the cycle continues so I definitely have let imaginary delegation go as part of my drop the ball journey and I now make it very clear what my desires are. And it turns out to be so much better for relationships. Yeah. So I would, would you mind for our listeners who have not yet read your book, which I think many of them will have because A, it's amazing and it's out there. And B, we also have been talking about it already um, on the show. So I would love to know, can you give us a snapshot of what it was like being married to you before your drop the ball way and then what it's like now? I mean, you already told us a little bit, but I'd like to know more. Yes. You know, when I wrote Drop the Ball, I wrote the entire manuscript before I even showed it to my husband. And when the manuscript was, you know, I'd gotten into a place where I felt like I wanted him to read it. I said, here, go and read it. He read the whole book and he comes to me and he says, is this what's been happening in our house for like 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I was like, yeah, he was like, every man should read this book. Like, is this what's going on inside of women's heads? I had no idea that something as simple as me eating the fried chicken instead of the meatloaf would like make you upset because I was eating the leftovers outside of the order, right? In which they were put into the refrigerator. <laughs> and so, you know, I would imagine that it was very difficult in some ways but I also would imagine he will tell you honestly that in some ways it was simpler because I did most everything around the house and now he does a lot more. So he'll, he'll be honest and say, well, I kind of liked it when I didn't really have to do as much, but I've seen what you've been able to do in the world and I've seen how it's made an impact in our lives and it's fine. I'll keep doing it. Awesome. That's amazing. That was what Mike, you said something he w- he was reading. I mean, book. it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like reading the book and I'm like, oh my, the, because this is, I mean, Kate does outward, you know, outward, what do you call it? Outward. I am an, I am an external processor. External processor. Okay. okay. Unfortunately for Mike. <laughs> so it's like reading the book and I'm just like, holy smokes, like the, just the dialogue that goes on that I just don't even, because then I'm like, do I do this? Like, do I think about these things? And there is an element to sometimes of things that I do. But I feel like, and then same thing with Kate, as we've talked about it, I was like, this is fantastic. It's great for relationships. It's like therapy through the eyes of someone else's relationship. Yes. Because then you can have a discussion about it, like in our own household, right? Yes, exactly. A lot of, you know, unmet expectations. Of course, the second thing he said to me after he read the book was, I'm buying you a new couch. Like, I'm buying you a gray couch, you know, this is so ridiculous. And that's because very early in our marriage, we went shopping for a couch and I wanted a gray couch, but I had done so much just to get him on the showroom floor to buy the damn Ikea couch that I didn't want to jeopardize the purchase by insisting on my own color. And so for many, many years, I sat on a blue couch when I really wanted a gray one. And it was just such an example of how I mean, he, he truly had no clue. Like, he really didn't know, really didn't care. I probably could have asked in that moment for a gray couch. He might have said, sure, why not? But sometimes we negotiate with ourselves out of what we need and what we want when we've got community around us, whether it's families or friends or coworkers. And it was just such an example of not asking for what you needed. And yes, of the dialogue and the decisions that we make that the other person has no clue about. Yeah, absolutely. There's a chapter in your book that I definitely wanted to make sure that we talk about up front because I loved it and I need more information. So <laughs> it is about the one where you talk about the highest and best use of your time. Yes. And you and um, your husband, can you remind me of his name? Kojo. Kojo. Yeah. So, so you had talked about and you each came up with the three things that you're most devoted to um, that are kind of your purpose or your highest values. And then the three that were in your partnership together that that were the most important. And can you share what those are? And then I have, because they're so specific. So I'd love to hear what they are. And then also what the process was that you went through to come to such incredibly specific things that you are doing here in the world. Yes. So there are two lists, so to speak, or two aspects of, I think, what we all need in order for us to achieve clarity. One of them was very individual, which is getting clear about what matters most to you. 
that came for me much later. I got married very young, so we were very much kind of a unit, and I hadn't spent a lot of time really getting clear, Tiffany, well, what really matters most to you? So for me personally, what matters most is advancing women and girls. That's my life's work. That's why I'm on the planet. I'm nurturing a really healthy partnership with my husband and raising conscious global citizens. A lot of times when I ask people, especially women that I connect with, well, what matters most to you? We'll rattle off different parts of our lives. My career matters to me. My family matters to me. And what I try to coach us toward is, what do you hope to achieve in relationship to what matters most to you. So my career is important, but really what I'm here to do is advance women and girls, right? My marriage is really important, but what I really wanna be doing is nurturing a really healthy partnership. So that's on an individual level. But one of the things that I realized that also was a guiding force, certainly in our marriage, was that we had a set of questions that I call a couple's compass in the book. But honestly, it could, be an, it could just be your compass. It doesn't even have to be related to a couple, which were questions that we used to help inform our decision making whenever we got to a crossroads. And this happened early in our relationship because we found out that plans like don't always go <laughs> the way that you want them to. You can say, you know, we're both going to have kids here or we're going to go to school at this time or we're going to buy a house here or we're going to buy a car here. And it just felt like life kept happening to us. And so we were being very reflective on one very long car ride. And we developed a set of questions that basically we're looking for the answer yes to in order for us to know whether or not we're going to move forward. And if the answer to all of these questions is yes, we just say we're going to do it. One of those questions is, will this advance sub-Saharan Africa, which is my husband's life's work, or will this advance women and girls? It has to be one of those two things. Will this put us on a path to financial freedom? Will this be in alignment with the values that our parents instilled in us? We grew up in very different parts of the world. My husband was born and raised in Accra, Ghana. I was raised in Seattle, you know, Washington, but we were instilled with the same values. So is this in alignment with that? Will this make our descendants proud? You know, if a history book was written and you looked back at the decision we were making now, is it something that people would go, oh, that's where the family name went down? You know, or will they say, wow, you know, Kojo and Tiffany Dufu really helped put us on the map. And if the answer to all these questions is yes, then we say, we're going to do it. We're going to move forward. And we're going to worry about the logistics later. Now, sometimes that gets us into really complicated situations, like an entire year where Kojo was in Dubai, <laughs> And I was in New York with a two-year-old pregnant, you know, a very intense boss trying to figure out how to manage all of those things and, and how to juggle it. And that's part of, you know, our drop the ball journey. But in the end, I think it's been really important. And I think it's important that all of us have a set of our own questions that we're asking ourselves. Because if you had have told me or asked me, 15 years ago, Tiffany, where would you be living? I couldn't have told you that I would be living in New York City. I couldn't have told you that I would have written this book, that I would have ran a national organization that trained thousands of women to run for office, that I would have launched a new venture called The Crew, that I would be sitting here talking to Kate and Mike. But I could have told you 15 years ago, if you asked me, that whatever it was I would be doing would be in the interest of advancing women and girls or sub-Saharan Africa, that whatever I would be doing would be putting me on a path to financial freedom, that it would be in alignment with the 
values that my parents instilled in me and that I would be making someone down the family line very, very proud. And so that's how I know that I'm on the right track. That's how Kojo and I know that we're on the right track. And I've just found it a better strategy for articulating and measuring your success than what kind of job do you have or what kind of school did you go to or how much money do you make or all of those other things that sometimes we use to measure ourselves by. Beautiful. Now, if someone, I I love this so much, I could talk about the questions that guide our lives literally forever. And I, I, I love finding out what questions guide other people. And I would imagine some of our listeners don't have those specific questions for themselves. And so I'm curious, did they arise organically for you as you went through your life or was there a process that you went through to get them so specific? Because I think, like you said, with the women you work with, I would imagine with the women who come into the crew, for example, that maybe it is more general, like, oh, well, my marriage is important to me. My kids are important to me. You know, my health matters. And while that's a wonderful start, like you said, what is your relationship to those things? So what do you recommend people do next to maybe get to that level of specificity? Absolutely. So, I mean, how I came to these things was much more organic um, than what I recommend to other people. One is part of it was very cultural. I, I grew up in a home where you give back. I'm not actually just here for myself. And my husband and I got married in part because we loved each other, but mostly because we felt at that time that we represented diasporic Africa coming together to advance our people. Remember when you were in college and you were very syrupy, idealistic (laughs) about all the change you were going to make in the world. So, you know, we take a lot of pride and and feel a lot of responsibility to make the world a better place for our community, for our country, for this nation, and for our people. So we're driven to come up with questions like this. I encourage people to do a number of different exercises and to kind of figure out what works for them. One is this funeral visualization exercise that was very, you know, made popular by Stephen Covey, where you look into the future and you imagine your funeral and what you would want, you know, a family member, a friend, a coworker to say about you at the end of your life. This was a very helpful exercise for me because I used to be someone who was very obsessed with the now and what I was doing today and what I got checked off of my to-do list on any given day. But really when you fast forward, you don't want people standing up at your funeral saying, well, you know, she got a lot of stuff done on her to-do list. <laughs> you want people saying something that's much more impactful. So that's an exercise that really helps you to see the forest from the trees because in reflecting on what would I want people to say, you realize that the exercise of life is kind of project managing that vision backward. A similar one is thinking about what you want your epitaph to say. I know that mine says she got to as many women as she could. Mm. That's what I am here to do. If I can go down underground and that epitaph can be true, I will have made. So that literally informs my strategy. It's part of the reason why I wrote a book because I needed to get to more people. I was just speaking on stages, but only people who worked for the companies that I spoke at could hear that message around dropping the ball. It's part of the reason why I'm launching a venture to help more women find their crew. So I think that sometimes it feels pie in the sky. It feels very long-term, but you can actually leverage what you hope to achieve in the long-term for the strategies that you're implementing right now. Another really great exercise is to ask several people in your life, at least 10 people who have known you in different contexts, particularly when you were a kid, maybe in school, now, 
can you just talk to me about a time when you've seen me at my best? So just ask, just use that as a prompt and then shut up. Don't say anything and just listen to them. If you can record their responses, it's even better. What I did was I printed them all out and I put them on the floor, on my table, and you just start circling the words and the phrases that are similar to one another. And one of the things that emerges is this realization that people have had a consistent experience with you since you were in kindergarten, right? You've been the evangelist or you've been the person that inspired other people. And you can also use that as inputs into, wow, what is my highest and best use? What am I here to do? What have I always done? pretty effortlessly because it's just a part of my DNA or because I've done it a lot and combine that with the things that only you can do to try to figure out what, what should I be focused on. I could give more, but those are some of them. Some, there's some people meditation works, whatever you can do to get in touch with the voice that's inside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so I would love to know, Actually, before, just right now, because I have so many questions, I have 25 million questions. So what, tell us about Find Your Crew. Tell us about the crew, how you are right now, you know, manifesting your purpose of, it, what is the word that you say? That it's not the upliftment, the advancing of women. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So first of all, the crew is a peer matching and coaching platform. And the way that it works is that you apply to become a member of the crew and an algorithm matches you with nine women in your city based on your values, your personality, your demographics, your goals. So it's like eHarmony for circles of women. <laughs> and then the 10 of you become a crew and you collaborate to meet your life goals together. So imagine having an accountability partner, except it's a group accountability group. This um, is genius. It is, right? And, yeah, yeah, this is really yeah. smart. Yeah. So you upload your intentions into our portal. I want to go gluten-free. I need to get two more clients. I want to get a promotion. I need to spend more time with my kids. You know, whatever it is. And your crew can see what you've committed to and they can see your actions against it. And they can, you know, support you and cheerlead you and hold you accountable. So that's the gist of the crew. And I have been thinking a lot about the crew because I spend a lot of time with women. So probably one of the most important things I've done over the years is say yes to pretty much every woman that reaches out to me. You can DM me on Twitter and say, I want to connect. And I'm like, sure. So I usually meet with women on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the morning. I meet with six or seven women a week. I've been doing it for at least six years. So I've met hundreds of women. And when you listen to women's stories, one of the observations that you make is that even though we have lots of people around us, we largely approach our journey as if it's a solo endeavor and not a team sport. We feel a lot of responsibility to the people around us, but don't feel a lot, we don't wanna impose on them. And so I've been preaching about the idea of we need, everybody needs to have a crew. And I have this pep talk that I give every woman at the end of my conversation with her about how you gotta go out and find your crew. and. About a year ago, more, maybe 14, 15 months ago now, I had a woman for the first time, I've given the crew pep talk at least like 400 times. I had a woman push back for the very first time on this little pep talk. And basically what she said was, Tiffany, 
I understand the idea of a crew, and I do believe that I could move my life forward faster if I had one. But honestly, by the time I go to enough cocktail parties, conferences, events, introduce myself to enough strangers, collect enough business cards, then somehow coordinate enough coffees, teas, lunches to sit down with all of these women to exchange our stories, to find out if we're compatible, how we can support one another, then somehow curate 10 or 12 of them to have quarterly gatherings where we upload our intentions and support one another. Like Tiffany, I have three kids. Yeah. I have a full-time job. I have a mom with a diagnosis. I have a dog. Like, you have this life where you can sit here in the wing and meet with six or seven women a week, and you can go to TED Women and Makers and do all these things. I don't have that kind of life. Is that all you have for me? Because I don't think I can find my crew. And I had what I call a Tiffany's epiphany. <laughs> 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 which was basically well if your life's work is advancing women and girls you should probably stop preaching to women about how they need to find a crew and you need to just find the damn crew for them that's what you're here to do and that's why the url is find your crew and i gave her a hug and i promised her that i would find her crew and i made that promise to as many women <laughs> as i can get into our system and onto our platform so that's that was the origin of the crew that's so beautiful. And for those listening, I just want you to make sure that you know that crew is spelled C-R-U. That's it. So find your crew, yeah. C-R-U. Also, your branding is so beautiful. Yeah. I just have to say that part. <laughs> it's just like the simplicity and the gorgeousness of it. Tiffany's epiphany. That's genius. Okay. So I was really inspired in your book by the Tuesdays and Thursday mornings saying yes to meeting people and doing that. So my, my purpose is also the upliftment. I, I say the upliftment of women and girls, but we're on the same, we're on yes, the same program here. Yes. Uh, may may oh, I yeah. ask something about the crew before oh, yes, we please shift? Do. Yes. So this is a software that was created. Is that correct? That's it. The back end. So you, yeah. cause you said algorithm will spit yeah. out what you got going on. And this is only for people in New York city. No, we launched oh. last year. We've got a crew in Seattle, San Francisco, Denver, Philly, New York. We'll launch more. We'll launch more crews this year, this May. We'll Great. do another round. And then how are you, like, is there, how do you make money with this? It's a membership model. You got pay four ninety nine a year to become a member of the crew. We love membership models. Yes. four ninety nine a year to become a membership. This is so smart. I know, right? Yeah. Way to go, doofu. I love it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> your, husband, your husband's last name was Doof because you said Yes. Yes. He's what a from, name. He's Hope. from Ghana. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the greatest, outside of my kids, it's one of the greatest gifts he's given to me because there's only one Tiffany Doofu in the world, which is really great for SEO. <laughs> and it's Amazing. also easy to spell. Yes. And you guys are actually, you guys are actually pronouncing it the way it is, which is the way that it's spelled. Most people try to make it really fancy. So they make it sound French, like to food. And I'm like, it's just, it's just, it's just, just food. Yeah. Well, I mean, luckily I heard about you through a friend verbally. So, so I got like the verbal to begin with. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just, I'll say Kojo Dufu might be one of the best names. It's just such a great, it's just strong name. Such a great name. 
But uh, anyway, go ahead. So okay. this is this is uh, this is wow. This is awesome. Nice work. We love it. Thank yeah. you. Okay. I want to give, and I should give a shout out to a young woman named Maya Goncheva, who has done all of the visual assets for the crew. So as you know, it's one thing to have a vision, you know, to know how you want people to feel when they come in contact with your brand, but it's a whole other thing to be able to articulate that to a person who then can manifest that visually. And she's just done a really amazing job. Yeah, stunning, stunning. Okay, so Tuesdays, Tuesdays and yeah. Thursdays, you meet with people. I'm deeply yeah. inspired by that. I'm a massive extrovert. I love meeting women. But years ago, I kind of toned it way down because, well, first of all, I moved to Maine. So like there weren't that many people wanting to meet anybody. <laughs> but, but I spent like all of my 20s in New York literally meeting people. Like that was pretty much all I did. And it turns out to be the best thing I ever did for my career and moving forward those relationships you know, even though I haven't been in New York for nearly 10 years living there, it's been the gift that kept on giving. But my question to you is, I have, I have, it's multi-layered. Okay. So you meet with women on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. So I like, I like minutia. So I apologize, but I have to like ask the, the details. So during that time, what are the hours and how long are those meetings and how do you move it along so that your time isn't getting sucked up by, mm -hmm. you know, cause six to seven in two mornings, that's a lot of people. Yes, so they're about 45 minutes each, just so that in between I can get up and go to the bathroom <laughs> or like check my email and make sure that there's nothing on fire or anything like that in between. I let women know what I'm doing. So I, I let them know I meet with women on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And sometimes I ask them, especially because I'll look for the morning, I'll look and see who I'm meeting. Sometimes I want to make what I call the intro transition. I want for the woman that I'm meeting at nine o'clock to actually meet the woman that I'm meeting at 10 o'clock. So what I'll say is, okay, we're ending and I got to go up and like do a bio break, but can you stay for just a few minutes? Because I want to introduce you to Lisa because I think that she is really amazing. So I, I do that a lot as well, but I kind of let people know that yeah. this is what I'm doing and there are some boundaries around it. So for example, I very rarely can meet a woman more than once. So what will happen is that someone will want to meet and they'll say, well, let's connect again, but I'm not able to, because if I did that, I wouldn't have the slots for the new women. Yeah. Now I would not recommend this for everyone. It's an enormous amount of time. But mm -hmm. if you're someone like you, Kate, who also cares deeply about advancing women and who is creating either products or services for them, it turns out to be something very important because I used to spend a lot of time speaking to women, you know, as a public speaker, a lot of time researching women, a lot of time talking about women. But when you sit down and listen to women's stories one-on-one, -on -one, you get a very different perspective on what they need in order to be successful. And in fact, these meetings is what led me to write Drop the Ball. Because I used to focus on women's leadership from a very public policy. We need to change our corporate practices. I mean, I still think that all those things are important. But when I sat down and actually listened to women, and I asked them, what are your barriers to leadership? No one ever talked about a public policy. No one ever talked about a corporate practice. Every woman talks about the pull in terms of the ambition she has in her life, the things that she wants to achieve, and all of the responsibilities that she feels on the home front. And what I find fascinating is that all those responsibilities she feels on the home front are irregardless of her actual status. You know, it, it's not just a working mom issue. I've had young women, first-generation college students, 
who were very stressed because they had financial responsibility for their parents. They were either paying their parents rent or mortgage. There was a bit of shame in the workplace because their work colleagues were having their parents pay their rent in order for them to live in New York City. Mm. And they didn't necessarily want people to know that they were in that position, but they felt an enormous amount of, I don't think that I can start a new business like all of these other millennials are doing, right? Because I actually have like a mortgage to pay, even though I'm only 20 something years old. I've had women who have come to me who have caregiving responsibilities on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, a lot of the caregiving policies are for people with children, but I've had women say, hey, I'm taking care of my parents. There's not the same narrative and there aren't the same policies and benefits for people who are taking care of elderly people or people who might be ill or incapacitated or have disabilities. So they're feeling pressure. I've had women who aren't partnered, don't have kids very early in their career who are just stressed about future caregiving responsibility that they yes. don't have. In other totally. words, it's like, oh my God, like I have to have a career and I have to figure out how to do this so that I'll have time in the future. I'm like, you don't have any kids now. You have no, do you have a boyfriend? No. Do you have a girlfriend? No. But they're like stressed about, you know, can I be what I want to be because I'm going to be a mom and I want to make sure that I've set up my life in such a way that I can't. And the most fascinating group are the women who don't have kids who have actually made it public that they don't want to have kids. They end up with a lot of work because it turns out that if you're a woman in our society who doesn't want to have kids and you've made that public, people think you have nothing else to do. So they end up with a lot of work at the office that they get assigned because people are like, oh, you know, she doesn't even want to go home to. Sometimes they end up with more caregiving responsibility of children over the weekend than me because it's like the auntie job. Oh, just Mm -hmm. call Jeanette, you know, she'll take care of it. She'll do it. So it was like everyone was having and managing all of this pressure. And I thought, wow, if I really want to get more women into the highest levels of leadership, which is my agenda, I'm going to have to start dealing with these very personal issues that I used to think were inconsequential. Like with the recycling. Yeah, exactly. Really like the details of life that make us or break us. And that's what's so brilliant about your work is that you really get into, okay, but what does this really look like on Sunday nights when you're talking meal prep? How is this really looking with the dry cleaning and with who's taking the kids where? And I just, given my adoration of Minutia, I love, love, love the details. And so if you're listening and you are struggling with all the things that Tiffany is talking about, you have to go get your copy of Drop the Ball. And I loved, what's the name of your master, your master list? Can you tell me again? Oh, the Mel. The Mel. <laughs> the, what the is best. it? Yes, yes. It's our Excel list. It's our management Excel list that we created. And for short, we just call it Mel, but it's actually like another person in our family, kind of like the the couch was like the blue couch was. And it's great. Actually this weekend, it was kind of crazy in our house. And my husband was like, we need to have a conversation with Mel. And I'm like, yeah, we do need to have a conversation with Mel (laughs) about how we organize it. But it really, that list was an exercise in kind of delegating in a way that I learned at the office, but that I had never really thought about at home. I was at work one day, I needed to launch a new project. And so I brought the entire team into a room for us to brainstorm collectively what needed to happen in order for us to hit this out of the ballpark and then assign who was going to do what based on our different roles. And it occurred to me walking home that 
wow, that really works at work, but I never really manage my home that way. And I wonder what would happen if we just started from scratch and we just thought about all the things that were required in order for us to manage our home collectively. And then we assigned responsibilities, not based on just what we've always done, but based on our gifts and our talents and our skills and our abilities. And it turned out to be a great moment in my own evolution, but also an important moment in the book as you know, a body of, of work, because when we're reading books, I'm obsessed with books. <laughs> um, I read them all the time. It's part of the reason why I wrote a book. And you always, <laughs> trust, you always trust the narrator. You always trust the person who's telling the story. And I've spoken to enough women that I knew women would trust me, you know, when I spoke about how my husband just sat on the couch all the time and just really didn't do anything and was just kind of, quote unquote, useless. Like they'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 I totally get that. My husband's just like that. But then you get to this point in the book where Tiffany decides that she's going to engage in this exercise with her husband. And she very strategically doesn't just write all of the things that need to happen in the home and just put an X, you know, next to her name in the column because she does everything because she doesn't want to be patronizing, right? But what happens when she brings this list to her husband is that it turns out there's a lot of things that he had to add to the list that she wasn't aware of that he had done. And the interesting part was that <laughs> when he named, I named tasks on the list, but he named titles, you know, so I would have said water the plants, but he had botanist um, and kind of declared. And <laughs> 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 that was really funny that all of his things, he was like travel coordinator. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> he made all of them roles. But I was like, travel coordinator, he was like, yes, like how many miles do you have? And you know, when we, when we travel, like, you never book the flights. I'm like, well, okay, that's kind of true. And he's like, you've never like watered a plant, like maybe 10 years ago and it was a cactus and it died. Yet there are things that are green and that grow around here. And, you know, so we kind of had this back and forth where it became very clear to me, but also very clear to the reader that it's possible your lens and your perspective might be very much informed by your resentment, um, you know, your perspective on, you know, what the person has been doing when really there's a lot more to the picture. And this was very important to me because you know, the, the book dropped the balls a lot of things. It's like a romantic comedy about how I got my husband off the couch. You know, it's this manifesto. But for me, I really wanted it to be about how the world has really benefited from the workforce revolution. You know, women went into the workforce in droves 50 years ago, and now the workplace benefits from our talent and our ingenuity and our creativity, I think in, in really incredible ways. But 50 years ago, we didn't have the same kind of home revolution. And so because of that, we don't get the benefit of men's talent and their ingenuity and their creativity in managing our homes and I actually think that our homes suffer as a result of that. And one of the most beautiful experiences of my drop the ball journey is learning and discovering and seeing that so many of the things I thought had to be the way that they were because that's the way my mom did it and that's the way my grandmother did it and that's just the way it's done were actually wrong, that there was a much more efficient or effective way of doing things in the home. And he's taught me that and continues to. Yeah. I, you know, reading, reading your book was so interesting for me because Mike and I have the closest thing in our immediate vicinity to a 50, 50 
partnership at home and in work. And so there was a lot of your book that I could deeply relate to on a personal level. And a lot of it was actually incredibly educational for me because Mike has always like been a 50% contributor, if not more in the home. And yet we still have a thing that we continue to work on because marriage is work about like the tallying of who's doing more and who's doing what. And, you know, and, and because we run a company together and we run our home together and we parent together. So your book was really healing around that and just noticing the tallying in myself Mm -hmm. and how I can like stop that behavior because it doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you. So I have a million questions, but I want to give a pause. Do you have? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, or yeah, I guess I'll ask my question. Okay. I said, go ahead, but no, it's my turn. Check. I'm checking my question. Tally, check. I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to power you for five seconds. Then I just took it right back. You're like, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to mansplain my way around here. How is this? So you've had a lot of conversations with women. And so bringing this into the bit, like, would you say the lot, a lot of the crew is business women like i guess is that i don't know how else to say it you mean um, entrepreneurs versus like entrepreneurs women is it corporate women or is it a variety so i guess i'll just say uh, let me say it this way like there's women in the business world right like you are and so as we know it's the there's a patriarchy that is, exists here so how is it as you're putting the crew together and helping these women because the one thing that i've been thinking about a lot about this is like women because our business is pretty much 95% women, I would say. More like probably 98, right? And I think we have like two male customers. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll give those dudes 2%, 2%. 2%. And so I have learned a lot about women in business and kind of what's been going in the last decade. But also, I mean, are these women that you're working with looking at starting a whole new... Because I'm like, is the system has been created by men and the patriarchy exists, right? So... Do you infiltrate, is that the infiltrate. word? Infiltrate that system or is it something you just cr- kind of create your own and just like, okay, well, this one exists. Here's system A. System A is what's been running for 200 years. That's cute. Now let's go and create system B. And like, so I'm, I'm wondering about those kind of conversations that are taking place inside of your circles. They're so, oh, it's such a good conversation. So First of all, that is a higher level conversation than what a lot of women are having in these circles. A lot of these women are just trying to figure out, how do I get out of the house in the morning? So are we. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're, very, they're very overwhelmed. But I'll tell you the consistent, the consistent narrative is, I did everything I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I graduated from college. I got the grades. I got the job. I've checked a lot of things off of the box of success but I still feel like there's this unrealized potential. So a lot of it is how can I fulfill my own ambition and how can I create impact in a world that seems to be imploding right now, right? You know, it's like the world is having its own existential crisis and I'm kind of having mine too and I'm trying to figure out. And so that's part of what draws them to the crew, this idea that I can help to achieve, get some clarity about what I can do in terms of making things better. Now, I would say that 75% of them, by the way, work full time in a company. They're largely mid-manager, professional women. There are some entrepreneurs, although many of them have intentions around 
not working for the company anymore, right? Okay. Um, and becoming more entrepreneurial, as I can see on the back end, because we can see, you know, women's intentions and we want to support them in that. But I would say that this goes back to your highest and best use, right? And really being focused on what is it that you have that you can contribute to the world that will create the most impact with the least amount of effort and anxiety and overwhelm from you? And I had a lot of conversations like this right after the last election, which really wasn't the last election, but we all know what we mean when we say the last election. And there were a lot of women who were saying, I'm woke now. And now I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And I had one, one conversation I'll never have with an editor at a publishing house who was saying that she had found this nonprofit in her community that supported refugee women. And she was going to start volunteering on the weekends to support these women because she'd had this awakening about how she needs to do more. And... <laughs> I was like, how are you going to do that? Like, you have two kids. You already spend most of your weekend reading because you're in meetings all day, and that's kind of part of the job of an editor. Like, why would you add, like, volunteering at this organization to your plate? I said, you work for a major publishing house. There are basically, as you know, because you're an author, five or six of them with a bunch of imprints inside of them. And these five publishing houses basically decide who the thought leaders are in our country and around the world. I said, if you want to make a difference, look at your list for the next season. Do you, yes. have, do you have a woman in hijab on your list who's publishing a book? Like, that's what you've got to be focused on. So, you know, I really encourage people in the spirit of trying to shake things up to really think about their own points of power and their own points of influence. Not all of us can be out in the street. You know, I do much better as an introvert talking to women one-on-one. -on -one. I do great as a public speaker. I do great spending large amount of times writing, which is why I wrote a book and spending time. You will, you saw, I went to the Women's March, but you'll never see me as the activist with like the bullhorn that's marching in the streets, though I'm just as much of a feminist as anybody else. And that's because that's just not my highest and best use. I have a way with words and I have a way with people and I can persuade people in power to think about things differently. So I belong in the tower, right? Having those conversations and sitting at the table. But I also need, in order for us to move forward, the rebel rousers. It's the same reason why I'm out in the workforce and I'm what I call a paid working mom because I get compensated for my labor. But I need my non-paid working moms. Literally, there is one picking up my son today from school because he doesn't feel very well. So we all have roles to play in our ecosystems in order for us to move forward. And I think the most important thing is not where you are, but how is where you are influenced by, you know, what you can do in order to make the biggest amount of change. That was such a beautiful answer. I loved that so much. I'm yeah. going to come back and listen to that over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. So I want to ask you before we wrap up about saying no. So that is something that I think we're all strengthening our muscles around. And I'm curious, because it's something we talk about in our community quite a bit, boundaries and saying no. And you seem to be, I, don't, I do not know you well, but you seem to be a woman with great boundaries. And that's always something I deeply respect. And so I'm curious, did you start off, or are you just a, somebody who has good boundaries to begin with? Or is learning to say no and having boundaries something you've grown over time? And if so, how? And then also, what about like as 
you, you know, have this book come out and as you have all these things happening, I would imagine the in, there's been an increase in opportunities. And so I'm curious about the diligence and devotion that you are cultivating and then, and how, how do you sort of like weed through, I mean, I think we already talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but if there's anything else you want to add around weeding through the opportunities, especially as they get shinier and sexier. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So to answer your first question, I think you use the word muscle. I love that word because I do think that declining or saying no is a muscle that has to be flexed and you have to get stronger at it, particularly for women where we're very socially conditioned to be accommodating. Um, which often means that we feel pressure to say yes because we either don't want to hurt the person's feelings or there's all kinds of psychology involved in it. I basically have a four-step process for saying no. I start with gratitude and it goes, thank you so much for thinking of me. Whether, and I say it in person or I put it in an email, thank you so much for thinking of me. And then I say what is prioritizing my world, my energy, my time. I'll say I'm knee-deep launching the crew or I'm like, got a book deadline. I say something about the value of my time and what's really important to me then. And then I unequivocally decline with no apology. So thank you so much for thinking of me. I need deep raising my first round of venture for the crew. I'm unable to be there. And then I end with the same gratitude that I started with, but I really appreciate you thinking of me. That's how I say no. (laughs) I do it multiple times a day. To answer your question about the shiny objects, that's where my crew comes in. So what I would say is I've had to increase the amount of times I refer. So I've had to put up filters and I use people who know better than me what to do. So for example, the fact that I'm on this podcast right now is a great example. I used to get all of those incoming requests for, can you do my podcast or can you do this article? Let's now go to a woman named Amanda Schumacher, who is amazing at PR and she'll tell me, she'll either decline without even bringing it to me or she'll say, Tiffany, I don't, I know that you've never heard of them. I might've never heard of them, but Latham did this right? One of my my friends, Latham Thomas, or this person did this. I really think that you might want to take a look at this. Or she'll say, Tiffany, you will be on Stephanie Roll's show today. She just texted me. Whatever is going on in your calendar, it will move and you will be on her show, right? So I have people that help to inform that for me. You have gatekeepers. That's it. That's it. And they're not just gatekeepers. They are experienced filterers, right? So they can help make that decision for me. And then I just basically, I just do what Amanda says. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yes. And by the way, before you get to a point, not everyone has the bandwidth to like pay for these people. No, of course. Right. Right. So I think the important piece is that's where a crew has been really important for me because before I could afford a team or staff, that's what my crew did. And I supported them with their initiatives and what they, what they did. And we, there was a lot of bartering that was going on. So I love the concept of a crew because they're not your friends. You know, they're not your coworkers. It's your crew. And you can leverage one another in a very strategic way and even in a transactional way in order to help all of you grow. Mm. Now, has that been difficult for you to kind of let go? Because I feel in, 
it's like to turn over trust into because you just mentioned who what was her name amanda amanda, amanda. yeah I, I had stephanie but amanda to say like i'm allowing her just to make the decisions and i know this is gonna be the best thing for me yes it's very hard but this is also why you know i'm the cumulative investment of a lot of people i don't have an ivy league degree I don't have parents that came from a certain milieu or pedigree. My parents didn't even know that there were college tours. When it was time for me to go to college, I just really wanted to go to a college and I applied, you know, to go to the college. So I've kind of figured out that people are really my biggest capital in terms of leverage and that if you deliver for someone, in other words, if you, if someone opens a door for you and you run through the door, like your life depends on it, not skip, not hop, not like, ah, you know, and you make them look really good and you deliver for them, they'll continue to keep you top of mind. So I have surrounded myself with people over the years who have made a huge investment in me. And I'm forever grateful. And I think it's been a really great investment because not only have they gotten a personal return, I feel like every day I'm making sure that the entire world gets a return on the investment that they've made. So by the time you have spent, you know, when you develop relationships with people in which they understand why you're here, they understand why you're on the planet, they know what your highest allegiance is. This is why to me, your passion and your purpose and clarity about why you're here is so important. It is the most strategic way to get people to believe in you. And once someone gets, you know what, Tiffany's going to want to do this because it's like a thousand girls and I know what she cares about, then you, you, it's fine for them to be the filter because you know the kinds of questions that they're going to ask themselves on your behalf. I don't know what you're working on next other than the crew, but I do think that like you would be an amazing resource to write a book about developing relationships. Cause even based on what was in drop the ball and what you've shared with us today, I think mm -hmm. it's a zone of genius. And I would love to read that book. Should you ever choose to write it? Okay. Good to know. This is a great question. Do you, because you said you're, you're raising venture. So you're actually raising money right now. Yes. I'm raising money for the crew to the scale crew. it. Yeah. Because I have a, we're oversubscribed, you know, I matched women, but I've got hundreds of women on a waiting list. I'm sure. And I need to get them off of it. <laughs> and so the raising venture money helps what? Just it allows, yeah, it allows us to be able to build a more robust system in terms of the technology, allows yeah. us to hire some marketers so that we can capture some of these women's stories. So I have lots of women in the crew who have gotten the clients, who've launched their websites, they're making progress on their intentions. I want to capture that so we can tell those stories. And to be able to get more people on the team to support them and to support me so that I'm not doing all of the jobs, which you all know, you're entrepreneurs, you totally get it. Yeah, we do. We do. Well, if you're listening and you have access to capital or know of somebody who has access to capital, please find Tiffany and <laughs> deliver that to her for, for yeah, the that's, group. That's good. We wrote a name down. I wrote a name down. I'll follow back. We got, I'll follow we, up we got one for you. Um, so anyway, Tiffany, this has just been a pleasure. I adore your work. I'm going to keep following and supporting in any way I can. I have one oh, you have one final question? You always do that when I'm wrapping up. Well, I didn't know you're wrapping up. Well, okay, go for it. <laughs> so... Has there been overlap between, or like what you and Kojo have, have talked about, you know, because of your work and then his work, 
has there been overlap that you guys have seen or things that you guys kick around to be like, this would be helpful in Africa versus here in the United States as you're building your business? Like to do together? Not necessarily to do together, but I'm just what those type, what those conversations are. You know, it's such a fascinating question because I am always so blown away by couples that can live together and be partners at home and be partners in work. I would say someone the other day was asking me, like, can you tell Kojo X, Y, or Z? And I was like, no, I was like, you have to get to Kojo yourself. I was like, I have my list for Kojo. It involves like the doctor's appointments, the this, the this. And it's on Mel. You're not on Mel. So you can't. Yeah. 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 I'm like you, yeah, you figure that out. So kind of the short answer is big picture. Sure. We think about like, are you getting what you need? We're going to make a difference in the world together. You know, we have this vision of like giving like a huge gift to our university because we went to the same college, you know, one day. But in a lot of ways, no, you know, because we're each doing our own separate thing professionally. Um, when we're together, it's largely about how are we co-managing our home in a way that works mm -hmm. for our family. And we probably could. I'm watching the two of you like literally on the podcast together. And I'm like, wow, like, Kojo and I should probably have some more conversations about how we can like create more impact together <laughs> outside of just making sure that we know who's washing the car and taking out the recycling. <laughs> you know, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely like a PhD in personal growth that we both yes. signed up for. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it has been, it's been a roller coaster ride, yeah, like, has. you know, in one way. And we'll be out to dinner and be like, couples don't work together. What do they talk about? Because we'll just be like sitting there. <laughs> and we're like, what do they talk about? Because it's, you know, it's, we do. We talk about logistics. We talk about the kids. We talk about our business. We talk about our dreams. Yeah. 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 So anyway, this was just I, such a pleasure. Thank you for those listening. Of course, go get the book. Do you have a preferred place that people go buy Drop the Ball or is it just? Yes. You can just go to droptheball.com. Great. Go to droptheball.com. Go to findyourcrew.com, C-R-U. And anywhere else people should find you or follow? You can reach me at Tiffany at findyourcrew.com if anyone wants to reach out to me or if anyone needs support or anything. I'm Tiffany at findyourcrew.com. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. awesome. <laughs> Thank you. What if you had enough time and energy for the things that matter most? Are you a busy mom who is trying to do it all without doing herself in? My brand new book, Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Moms is available for pre-order now. When you go to katenorthup.com forward slash pre-order, you can pre-order your book and qualify for $649 worth of amazing bonuses, including workshops, interviews, masterclasses, and a guided course worth $297. So head over to katenorthup.com forward slash pre-order.